The St. Louis Cardinals and the Miami Marlins could not be more different. One, a franchise with a history and a legacy of winning. The other, with a history and a legacy that's to be determined. One got off to a blazing hot start to the season and has since gone ice cold. The other got off to a nightmarish start and has since found their way back into some interesting baseball games, winning a number of those in a row. One team has a roster complete with names that most fans in the baseball world would at least recognize. The other has a roster complete with names that most people have never heard of. These are the two teams that will face off this week in Miami. What's up, everybody? I'm Tara Wellman. Welcome back to Bird Seeds. This is another series preview. If you have not been here before, thank you for stopping by. Check it out. Let me know what you think. This is a video that will give you all the info you need as you watch the Cardinals and the Marlins this week, thanks to my very special guest, Craig Mish. Now, as I mentioned, these two teams couldn't really be more different in the expectations or in the predictions of how their season would go. And yet, both teams right now are on the outside of the postseason looking in. It's June, talking postseason now is a little early. But Craig Mish, as you know, if you're Cardinals fans or Marlins fans, has been very closely following both of these teams. Of course, bringing us the Marcelo Zuna trade a couple of years ago in that story, following the teams since then. So I caught up with Craig as the Marlins were in the midst of their extra innings affair on Sunday and as we waited to see what would happen with the Cardinals in their final game of the series at Wrigley ahead of game six of the Stanley Cup final. So many things happening, but we focused for a few minutes on baseball. Craig, as always, it is a pleasure to have you. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Tara. Thanks for having me, as always. Appreciate it. Well, it's always a, a, an interesting scenario. I feel like every time we talk, there's something going on, whether it's with the Cardinals and what they're going through or with the Marlins. Obviously, coming off the draft, that was a date circled on the calendar for a lot of folks in the Marlins organization, as well as the fan base. But this season itself has been interesting from the outside looking in for the Marlins because there weren't a lot of expectations and then all of a sudden they found some magic and were able to look like a competitive baseball team for a while. If you can, kind of for people who haven't paid attention, give me a, a recap of what this season to this point has been like for the Marlins without the expectation, but also, also with you know a lot of young talent there. Yeah, the beginning of the season was a real struggle. They didn't have a lot of offense, and they weren't scoring runs from basically all of April really deep into May. They made a coaching change, and similar to what the Cardinals did last year, they fired their hitting coach and Mike Pagliarulo, and they brought in their hitting coordinator from the minor leagues and Eric Duncan. And so initially, Tara, the results really weren't there. In fact, they went another week of basically not scoring at all. In fact, they went like two or three games without a run. I started tweeting the information in Spanish, hopefully that would turn around. And I'm not going to hold myself responsible for that turnaround, but they did go 12-5 and five from that point forward. So... Uh, you know, that was really it was it was kind of interesting because they brought a couple of they were mixing and matching a lot of players from the minor leagues, bringing guys up, sending guys down. Lewis Brinson started the season with the big league team. They sent him down. Pete O'Brien started the season with the big league team. They sent him down. J.T. Riddle. They were moving players back and forth. But finally, they got this kid, Garrett Cooper, Tara Healthy. And he started to really produce dividends for them in terms of hitting home runs and driving in runs. And then 
one of the offseason signings that they had in Harold Ramirez, who didn't make the team going into the season. As soon as they called him up, he got real hot to start with. He's cooled off a little since then, but they at least had a couple of viable hitters in their lineup for about a three-week period that got them off to that kind of hot start, as we would say, in late May and June. But before then, it was a real struggle, and I don't think that people are really that surprised at the overall record. It was just the way that they were doing it, and the lack of scoring was incredible. But their pitching terror has been great. There's no question about that. They probably have three or four really solid young starters on this team that I think could even be starters on the team next year, too, even in this sort of building or rebuilding mode. So the pitching has been really good, the starting pitching. The hitting, not so good, with the exception of the last few weeks. And then they kind of find themselves 16, 17 games under 500 at this point. I want to talk more about the pitching in a minute, but it's, I'm curious when you watch this team and, and you cover it as closely as you do and you talk to people who are involved with this team. Look, I, I've been around the Cardinals my whole life. They haven't exactly gone through this kind of rebuild in no. my lifetime. So, no. you know, you're watching a team like this. You're talking to people who are kind of trying to balance that. Look, we know we have to play <laughs> in the regular season. We got to play games. We got to figure out how to put a team on the field. But there's more to it, and there's always moving parts. How do how do you feel like they go about managing what's on the field with this future focus really at the at the forefront? When you know it starts so bad, then all of a sudden there's talent. You're trying to figure out how to make it work without all the pieces you know you're going to have. Yeah, it's a lot different. Two organizations where the Cardinals are always going to be in a position to put the best team possible, and the fans won't accept anything less. And there's just a huge difference when you're getting twenty to 30,000 fans every night at the ballpark. I mean, basically since the Cardinals hired Tony La Russa to manage the team, they've been on an epic run for about, I don't know, it feels like 20, 25 years of just always really good baseball. Now, for the Marlins, Tara, it's a little bit different in a, in a building or rebuilding mode maybe than some other organizations because they don't have the fan support going to the games that some of these other teams do. And so naturally, I think they didn't expect fans to be flocking to the ballpark this season but Miami's fans you really can't expect them to come back to the ballpark again if you're not going to put a product out there within let's say three or four years that's going to be viable so in time what they've done is they've kind of earned fans trust back by basically saying things that they're going to do and then showing fans that they're going to do that by enhancing the ballpark making it more of a family feel and making it feel like you're actually going to a baseball game. And I think that they've come through in that. But there is no doubt that at some point in order for fans, and we're talking about averaging 15, 20,000 fans a night again in Miami, they're going to have to win. And so whether that is in 2020 or 2021, I, I really am not sure. And the Marlins haven't really put a timeline on that. So we'll just kind of have to see what next year looks like. But at this point, Terry, it does look like this year, they may not be the worst team in the league, but certainly probably somewhere in the bottom five, it appears to be. They have some guys on that team that are, you know, the veterans, a couple of them fitting into pieces. I imagine it's an interesting position for those guys to be in, to be in an organization that they know is not really on the map as far as the postseason is concerned. What do some of those guys bring to this whole process as they're mixing and matching some of those young guys along the way? Yeah, well, the problem is, is that a lot of the veterans that they have on the team outside of Granderson, who they signed this year, and Neil Walker and Romo, those three players, they'll try to trade them 
in July. But what they did is is really in the Stanton trade, they were kind of forced to take back some salary in that. So they got back Starling Castro and Castro Tara, who everybody knows, four time all star, 1500 hits. He's had a, a excellent career, but he has had a very poor season in 2019. And with his salary being $11 million with a $1 million buyout next year, the Marlins are going to have a hard time trading him unless I see something miraculous over the next month. You look at his OPS and batting average, they are just way down from where his career norms are. And again, a player in this day and age, not three, four years ago, that's a second baseman that's doing this. Is he worth three, four, five million dollars to another team? I don't think so. So they're going to hope for the best there. He was really good for them last year and a good clubhouse influence as well. It just hasn't worked out for them this year. And then the other veterans, Tara, one is way in Chen. Can't move him. He's making $20 million. They're stuck with him for another season. And Martin Prado, Tara, he's making $18 million this year. So, look, it, it's not a great situation to be in to have to kind of pay right now for the problems that the previous regime had. But that's what they're up against at this point. And so we'll have to see how the Marlins – uh, the rest of the season play it out. They're going to have to get some of those veterans, as we're talking about, playing at a much higher level. They went into the season under the assumption, OK, at the deadline, we will be able to move Walker. He's hurt. We'll be able to move Romo. He gave up a grand slam on Sunday. His ERA is over five. We'll be able to move Granderson. He's batting under 200. I mean, they got some work to do in order to trade these players and get some value back because that was really the key to signing them was filling in the gaps from April until July, and then moving them and getting something back in return similar to last year. You may remember they traded Brad Ziegler. They got a relief pitcher back in return there. In the offseason, they traded Kyle Baraclaw. That gave them money to be able to go out and chase this kid Victor Victor Mesa, an international player. But those players did well for them. The players that are veterans right now are not playing at a high level outside of Walker, who got hurt. So a month from now, hopefully it'll be a different conversation, but it is not pretty right now for them. That is the future outlook for the Marlins. But right now, you mentioned the offense kind of getting things going. Not a ton of really recognizable names at this point for people who aren't following the Marlins. But if there are a couple of guys who you would say, look, these these guys are, are worth paying attention to now and maybe later as well. Offensively, we'll talk about the pitching in a minute, but who would those sure. guys be? Sure. Well, look, I mean, last year, Brian Anderson had an excellent rookie season for them where they put him in third base and right field. Now they've put him back at third base again. He's had a little bit of a sophomore slump, and I'm not really sure what the reason is for it. If you look at some of the advanced metrics, he still is hitting the ball hard, but a lot more ground balls. We'll have to see what his numbers look like at the end of the year. Remember, uh, you know, he went through two or three months without JT Romuto in this lineup. And so being the main guy in there, not a lot of protection there. So but I, I still think that he's a viable starting third baseman in Major League Baseball or right fielder. So he's still good. Uh, Jorge Alfaro, the catcher, is an interesting case because we'll see upcoming in the series against St. Louis. What will he do? Will he hit three home runs in three games or will he strike out 15 times? Nobody really knows. He's that kind of player. When he's hot, you don't want to throw him a fastball, but when he's not, he's just a lot of swing and miss. So those are two players that I think that will be on the team in 2020 that will be starting players there. And then the two players that we talked about earlier, Garrett Cooper and Harold Ramirez, I think we can pretty much stop at that point in terms of the offense because, again, it's a season where they're just mixing and matching on the big league team. Right. Okay, the pitching. Obviously, Cardinals fans will be familiar with the guy they'll see in the first game of the series. Sandy Alcantara has been great. I think provides a bit of excitement from what that rotation can be, what those young arms can be. But there's a number of of 
options as far as who to look at as the guy to be excited about in this rotation. What's been the most fun to watch, the most impressive to you with this starting pitching that, you, as you said, has been great even when other things haven't been? Yeah, that's been the very big bright spot for the team. Caleb Smith, although he'll miss the series against the Cardinals because he's on the injured list, he's been their best pitcher and most consistent pitcher. But it looks like they're either trying to manage his innings or he had a little bit of a hiccup last week with his hip or his groin, one or the other. But either way, they're going to limit his innings. Uh, Pablo Lopez, another pitcher who pitched on Sunday, has been really good late May and into June as well. And so he has been excellent for them, strikes out a lot of batters, and you're seeing his ERA move down. Uh, certainly Trevor Richards possesses the best changeup or one of the best changeups in all of baseball. Probably projects, as I would say, a three or four or five starter in the big leagues because he doesn't throw 95, 96 miles an hour. But when you have a team like Atlanta, who he faced recently with a lot of fastballs, he throws the off-speed stuff and they swing and miss. So Richards could be a part of any rotation in Major League Baseball. It's probably not a one or a two, but he's there. And then, of course, that brings us to Sandy, the former Cardinal Sandy Alcantara, who had a complete game shutout against the Mets. He's getting deeper into games now. There are going to be those games where I, I think he's still going to walk some batters, and I think that his K rate probably right now isn't where the Marlins would like it to be eventually, but he's still only 23 years old and really could end up being a big piece to this Marlins rotation. I don't know if he's a one or a two. I, I'm not sure that I'm willing to go that far with him yet because I really don't know. But we'll have to see next year when he's 24 or 25. And then Jose Urania, who started opening day for them, he is essentially their fifth starter, but he starts every fifth day. I think they'll try and move him in July because Tara, the other player that the Marlins got back in the Marcelo Zuna trade is Zach Gallen, who has been the best pitcher in all of the minor leagues. And the Marlins are waiting to call him up. I think they will in August. So maybe this is one deal where the Marlins will look back and say we got the better of it. It's, it's certainly possible. We don't know. Ozuna's, of course, having a great year this year for St. Louis, but uh, getting Alcantara and getting Zach Gallen, Magnera Sierra, I'm not sure what he's going to end up being. I don't have the highest of expectations for him, but if they can get two starters in their rotation for three or four years, then it was worth making that deal for Ozuna, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm not sure anyone in St. Louis, as far as anyone that I talked to, had a real indication that either of those two guys, Alcantara or Gallen, were going to right. be that kind of starter. I mean, I, when the trade happened, we kind of went, hmm, okay. Yeah, seems, we didn't know. That yeah. seems all right. But to see both of them kind of come into their own and really take advantage of the opportunity, opportunity that they have with an organization where they have the chance to shine, right? They're not in the St. Louis Cardinals organization where there are 85 different pitchers who could be starters True. at the big league level. The, these are guys who have the opportunity to make their case, and they're doing it. And and that's, I don't know if that's to say that there was some sort of lack of evaluation on the on the side of everyone that I've spoken to in St. Louis, or if it's just, you know, they had the opportunity and they've put in the work. And that's I mean, it's impressive, whatever the the backstory to it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and, and no one could have expected Ozuna's shoulder to go out like it did last year, and, and he's I think he's made up for it offensively for sure this year. I would also say that there aren't people that I talk to that thinks that Sandy uh, is is a number one starter. I, I, don't, I haven't talked to people that told me Zach Gallen is a number one starter. So, I mean, look, these guys could be number two or number three. They could be in St. Louis's rotation as a four or a five. Right. And I think it was a calculated risk at the time that the Cardinals made the trade, but I think it was worth doing. I don't think they look back on it and say that they regret it. And obviously the results to this point of those players that we're talking about uh, you know, haven't been major pieces at the big league level yet. The question will be 2020 
if Gallon is, let's say, the two starter on the team and Sandy is the three, and then Cardinals fans could look back and go, yikes, you know, at that point, maybe we shouldn't have done that because, I mean, we don't know how the Cardinals season is going to play out this year, but if they don't get back to the postseason and, and get deep and win a World Series, then if you're playing the result on it, then the trade would not have been worth it for Ozuna. But I think at the time, I thought, that Ozuna would be a 30-100 guy uh, even last year. I think he'll end up doing that this year in his OBP 330 with a 260, 270. That's pretty much who I thought he would be. It's just unfortunate that Cardinals fans didn't get to see that in 2018. I want to ask you about the Cardinals from your perspective because you're not there every day, but you do pay attention to this team. You see what's going on, and, and you know enough of the people involved, and you hear things. It's not what they expected. And it's no. not, there doesn't seem to be a clear resolution to that. And I think Cardinals fans, well, right now most St. Louis fans are pretty focused on the Blues, as That's they true. should be. That's true. But That's when the dust point. settles, they're going to be really aware that this looks like a failure as far as what the expectations were coming into this season. Does it look that way from your perspective when you kind of from a distance look at what's going on? Yeah, I, look, we're, we're kind of with the Cardinals in the same position as we were last year. I mean, yeah. more or less. Uh, yeah, there were about a 500 team middling, and then they brought Schilt in. They went on that run. And I think that that run also coincided with basically the second hottest hitter in all of Major League Baseball going on that tear and Matt Carpenter. Because, I mean, Yelich was the hottest. But Matt Carpenter. Still is, probably. Went, yeah, <laughs> and he is. That's right. and, and Carpenter went on that epic run. Now, to think that he was going to do that again this year was probably foolish, but at the same time, they're just not getting enough guys on base, and the RBI opportunities haven't been there, with the exception of the guys who have been in front of Ozuna, and he's pretty much done his job driving in, I think, close to 50 here at this point. So getting guys on has been a problem for sure. The other thing that hasn't happened like it has happened in the past, as you talked about, the Cardinals have always been able to dip into the farm system and call up either a hitter or a pitcher that has surprised people and this year they've taken some shots and they haven't worked out, especially on the pitching end and with Waka going the other way and then just being able to say, OK, that's fine. Let's go dip and get Genesis Cabrera. He'll be fine. And that hasn't worked out also. Dakota Hudson's been OK. He hasn't been maybe as good as some people thought. And so all of those things kind of combining themselves and you have a 500 team, basically. But you know that July is going to come, and, and certainly they couldn't make a move, and Goldie could get super hot at some point. Uh, he started off the season real hot. I think at this point, if you would have asked me two months ago how many homers would Goldie have at this point, I would have said 17, 18. He only has 12, and and I think 20-something runs driven in. But that's not really his fault. Guys aren't getting uh, on base in front of him. So we'll have to see what happens. But if Matt Carpenter decides that, He's going to be Matt Carpenter of last year. This is a game-changing player. Remember how he carried them with the salsa last year. If that happens again, we're talking about a different team. But at this point, they'll dip back now and try Ponce de Leon. Maybe Alex Reyes will, will get it together, and he'll be there too. So it's not panic mode, and I do think that's an excellent point that you brought up. I think the Blues run uh, in the Stanley Cup has kind of masked anything that's happened over the past month with the Cardinals. Everyone's just kind of paying attention to that. But you're right. Once that ends and we hit like mid-June, July, people are going to start paying attention and say to themselves, what do we have here? So not time to panic yet because, again, they went through this last year and came out of it almost in the postseason. So we'll just have to see what the next few weeks brings. It's amazing to me how 
much the conversation is like last year and the year before that and the year before that. They've changed all the pieces, right? The entire staff is is different. They've fired people in the middle of the season. They brought in Paul Goldschmidt and Andrew Miller. They've made moves, maybe not the move that most people wanted them to make, and they're still in the same boat. So at some point, you kind of start getting restless, I think, as far as what else can change in order to generate the result that everyone thinks should be there. I, I think... Goldschmidt has been not at all what people expect him to be at some point. Matt Carpenter obviously has gotten off to that same slow start. Yeah, um, yeah. Those are the two biggest pieces, I think, that have been problematic for the offense generating anything consistently. But the starting pitching isn't what everybody expected it no, to be either. And no. I was concerned about that coming into the season. I felt like while on paper you could make a very convincing argument for all five of the guys slotted into the starting rotation, you could also make a very convincing argument for the problems that would arise for all five guys in the starting rotation. That's not a great place to be in. So if they make a change, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes as far as that starting pitching. But I also think as an organization, they've they've been pretty resolute in... We like our guys, we like who we've got, we believe in their potential, and quite honestly, that might be what's gotten them to the same place at this point of the season for three or four or five years in a row. So we'll see if they choose to uh, to change things up to try to generate a different result, or if they just hope guys turn it around. Yeah, it, it could be, but again, look at Goldschmidt in April and May of last yeah. year, he did nothing. Carpenter, April and May of last year, did nothing. So, look, if, if looking at it as, from the half-full point of view with the Cardinals, as I always do, because I feel like they're, they're always going to make a move and they're always going to do something, and they did last year, too, when they, when they made a couple of trades. So, look, I, I think that they're better than what they've played, and they have the players to play better than what they've played. But those two players, as I mentioned, Goldschmidt and Carpenter, absolutely have to get to a different level. And then the one uh, mistake on my end that I would have made would have been I would have predicted Flaherty to be in the conversation for Cy Young. I I thought that he would be that good. Now, look, the ball definitely is flying out like we've never seen before, and that's affected him and everybody else. That's not an excuse. That's just fact. But there really haven't been more than a handful of elite pitchers in all of baseball this season, and they're surprising names, too, like Lucas Giolito. Like, I mean, there are just some names that you didn't expect, Castillo and Barrios and the Twins and Odorizzi. So, I mean, somehow they're getting it done, and the Astros certainly have a few pitchers, too, that get it done. I'm just not going to write it off just yet. I think we have to see what happens, but I think the three keys would be Carpenter, Goldschmidt, and then does Flaherty take over as the ace of this rotation? Because if I asked you right now, Tara, and said, okay, 2020, opening day, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher, it's always that historical person. It's Wainwright or it's Carlos Martinez or just that that guy that you know that's an ace. And I would say right now it doesn't really feel like that. So well, we'll have to see how the, the second half of the season really plays out. But what I, when I saw Flaherty in the spring, I thought, wow, they're coming out of here with a number one starter. And he really hasn't done it. But from a positive point of view, just to end this kind of um, this conversation, the one thing that that I did see in the spring that has carried over in a big way is they found that Andrew Miller, his name's not Andrew Miller, it's Gant. I mean, Gant has been yeah. outstanding. I know he gave up a couple runs the other day, but wow, he has been great. Five wins for him and ERA sub two. Uh, that that that's that's an organizational find to say, hey, look, we're not quitting on the player. We're converting him just like Andrew Miller was converted, just like Brad Hand was converted. They may have found 
instead of getting Cecil and Gregerson and signing all these guys, maybe Gant moving forward is that swing seventh, eighth inning guy. You got to be really happy with what you've seen from him. Yeah, he's got wins. He's got saves. He's got Everything. multiple innings. He's got a couple of outs to save the day with runners on. He's He's been remarkable. I do have to wonder how different that rotation would have looked with Carlos Martinez in it had he been healthy to start the year. I, I, I don't know how much that would have made a difference, but he's he's an ace quality pitcher when he's at his best. Um, and we just haven't had the opportunity to see that. So uh Maybe that plays in. Maybe that's something that comes into play next year or, or whatever they do with Martinez. Sure. Uh, Matt Carpenter does have a new cereal out, so maybe the cereal okay. will become the new salsa. Hopefully <laughs> and we so. can uh, carry that to the postseason. I don't know. Ho- hopefully so. But yeah, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of numbers that are, that are basically down from yeah. last year. I mean, Ozuna is up. And and pretty much everybody's down, really. From yeah. even Miles Michael has had that unbelievable year last year, too. So I think those things will even themselves out. The only question is... What will this look like at the end of the year? Will it be you know a game back of the Cubs or the Brewers with a week to go, a game ahead? We know this is going to be close going into uh, into September, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. You have a new radio show. I for do fantasy baseball. Uh, How about that? Seekers. Where can they hear that? Sure. I uh, of course worked for SiriusXM for almost ten years. My new show is from noon to two Eastern on the Fantasy Sports Network, which is fantasysportsnetwork.com. And you can also find it uh, on Twitter, my handle at Craig Mish, but at FNTSY Radio. You can listen online every day, live, but wherever you hear a podcast, you can find it, whether it is iHeartRadio, which you can listen live, or iTunes, or Stitcher, or uh, you know Google Play, or of course, the iTunes Store. You can listen to the podcast there, so... Uh, it's it's really kind of headed toward Tara in this direction, at least with radio in general, where a lot of it is on demand, like yeah. like this, you know, like a lot of people are are getting their information whenever they want it. And so I took the leap to do it that way because I kind of feel technologically this is the direction that we're headed. So my show is on demand 24 hours, seven days a week. And then I have my Swings and Mishes podcast which basically focuses around the Marlins. So those are the the two primary things with baseball season that I have going right now. And thanks for asking about it. Of course. Fantasy fans, if you're out there and want a little bit more content, check it out. Craig, thanks so much as always. My pleasure, Tara. Thank you always for having me. I appreciate it. The Cardinals will see Alcantara and Urania in this series. That second game of the series, Hudson versus... TBA should have been Caleb Smith in that spot, but as Craig mentioned, a bit of a hip issue perhaps that is keeping him out of the series. For the Cardinals, right now it's slotted to be Michael Waka, although Ponce de Leon was just recalled, so he'll be there in case things go south early. Then Hudson in Game 2 and Miles Michaelis in Game 3. For the Cardinals, this is a continuation of their road trip coming off of another series loss at Wrigley. It's an opportunity for them to get things back on track, but we've seen these games in other sports, we call them trap games, where they should win and maybe they overlook it a little bit and don't. Look, the Marlins have one thing going for them right now, and it is starting pitching. That has been the doom of the St. Louis Cardinals more than once or twice or seven times this season, or at least in the last stretch. So can't overlook this Marlins team, even if there isn't a whole lot in the way of generating offensive production, but it's an opportunity for the Cardinals to maybe gain some momentum in a sport that doesn't like to pretend that momentum exists. 
Marlins and Cardinals for three in Miami. That is what is coming up. Thanks so much again to Craig, as always, for joining me. Make sure that you're following him, checking out his fantasy baseball radio show slash podcast if that's something that you're interested in getting more info on. Subscribe to this channel. Follow me on YouTube. You know the drill. That's all for now. I'm Tara Wellman. I'll see you next time.